Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Last week, we began a three-part series on K-12 education with a discussion with Lily Eskelson-Garcia of the National Education Association and Ray Reutzel from the USU Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services. We used as a jumping-off point a provocative proposal from Senator Aaron Osmond. Uh, He is proposing that we end compulsory education. He says that uh, some parents act as if the responsibility to educate and even care for their child is primarily the responsibility of the public school system, and that the way things are uh, becomes uh, forces teachers to become surrogate parents, expected to do everything from behavioral counseling to providing adequate nutrition to teaching sex education. That, uh, along with news uh, today, the, the uh, state, state of Utah, has assigned A through F grades to all schools. Uh, we talked a little bit about testing schools with Lily Eskelson Garcia. She feels that that's a bad idea, one uh, one size fits all, bad idea. We're going to talk about some of these things with the uh, author of that proposal himself, Senator Aaron Osmond, who joins us on the line. Thanks, and uh, welcome to the program. It's good to be with you, Tom. Thanks for the opportunity. So we talked all around you last week. Uh, let's uh, ask you directly, uh, the, your proposal to end compulsory education, is that meant to be just a trial balloon to get something started? Do you really hope this will pass? Well, I think that uh, the principles behind the conversation are things I truly believe in. But let me be clear that my proposal is to replace compulsory education law with something that will be more effective in actually achieving academic results. You know, we talk about the fact that compulsory education is such a critical law for us in ensuring that kids actually get to school, but then that's where we stop. We don't talk about the fact that we have such a significant loss right now when it comes to our actual academic results once they're in school. You know, the very kids that we're most concerned about, our most at-risk populations, are failing in our current school system. We may be forcing them to go there, forcing them to attend, but we're certainly not engaging them in a way from an academic perspective. And there are really no consequences whatsoever for their failure to perform or their failure to achieve either for them or for their parents. And so right now we have a system that focuses on a butt-in-seats mentality, trying to get people to show up. But once they're there, we forget about that part, and we're so hyper-concerned about their presence at school. But what about when they're there? And what is the obligation of their parents once the kids are actually in school? And what are the consequences associated with not succeeding academically or utilizing the resources that we spend billions of dollars a year on to provide for public education, but then don't seem to have any follow-through on ensuring that we actually use those monies wisely? So it's a much broader conversation, one that I had hoped to start with this dialogue, which clearly has begun. The discussion on this topic has been not only statewide, but there's been conversation about this on a national level that has been very engaging. So uh, you want to replace current system with something. What, uh, what's the outline of that something? Well, I think the, the most important principle is that when it comes to our public education system, it is something that we should provide. It is something that as a society we believe is critical, that we provide access to every child in our state, the opportunity to have access to a free public education. That's something I believe very strongly about. But at the end of the day, it's a choice that we need to enable parents to have. Now, that choice exists today in Utah, but it's limited and sometimes confusing. For example, we give parents the option today to choose homeschool, private school, or public school. But the assumption is is that parents are going to choose public school, and we require that they attend public school unless they specifically exclude themselves through a homeschool selection. And so we're trying to create an environment where, all right, parents, we need to give you a decision. The decision is you may pursue homeschool, private school, or public school. But when you choose public school, you have additional obligations. Those obligations as a parent are that you are expected to engage and that you're to participate in the educational process with your child. This is not a handoff. In our state constitution, we state that education is the primary responsibility of the parent, that the state is secondary in nature. It is our responsibility to facilitate and support the education of a child, but the parent has the primary responsibility. And we have spent literally years and enormous amounts of legislative effort trying to 
hold our teachers and our administrators accountable for the performance of our students in the public education system, but we really have done nothing to truly hold our parents and our students accountable for what they do in the public education system when they're using this expensive but free resource that's available to everyone, but there's no accountability built into the actual utilization of public education. So my proposal is, rather than just focusing on attendance, it's time to change our law to say, first, make your choice. You decide if you're going to homeschool them, send them to private school, or go to public school. And actively make that choice. Make it a step that every parent must formally elect. Second, if they choose to go to public education, that they sign an agreement, an actual public school participation agreement, where both parent and child understand their responsibilities associated with their participation. So for a parent, in this particular case, that they agree that they will support the school's local attendance policies, that they, in fact, will support the, their educators in disciplinary actions when necessary, rather than fighting against it, so that teachers can be respected for the professionals they are rather than being babysitters. And then third, that they will participate, agree to participate by their contract to come to parent-teacher conference and be engaged in and aware of their child's academic progress. And that failure to do those things will result in actions or consequences associated with uh, your participation in the public education system because it costs us money. And parents are expected to participate and perform in this educational process with their children. Conceptually, that's where I'm headed. Hmm. So if we remove the, uh, the force of law that's currently in place with, uh, with compulsory education, that, that third point you had there, what, what, would, uh, what do you think that would look like? Would, uh, it, it, child would uh, be taken out of school, a fine? Because uh, for some parents, it's probably going to take you know, something to, to help them, you could say, make them participate. Yeah, I think that there, you have to have some form of logical consequence associated with their choice. So today, the, the, the model is very simplistic. Either you show up or, or we're going to send you to a truancy court. And in that truancy court, we're going to force you to send your kid to school, uh, either by threat of jail time or threat of fine or some other corrective action. And that works to a point. And for many educators and administrators that I've talked to, that has been the one tool that they've been able to have to force a parent to bring their child to school. And I get the importance of that safety net. My recommendation is that we change that slightly, where their parent is actually making a choice. They're aware and cognizant of the choice that they're making, that they have an option between homeschool, private school, and public school, and that when they make that choice for public school, that they're also agreeing to additional behaviors that would be subject to similar consequences, for example, fines associated for their failure to participate, that fines that would be tied to the cost of remediation, for example, when a student isn't participating actively in their classes. That puts them behind, it puts a burden on the education system, puts a burden on the child, and there's costs associated with that. You would also have, the, obviously, the same kinds of threat of potential jail time or fines associated with that parent if they fail to participate in the agreements that they sign. A good example of this, Tom, is the great work that's being done by our charter schools. Almost every charter school has some form of agreement that the parents sign, a level of participatory expectation that they must participate in in order to have their child in that particular school. In a very similar way, we need to shift the thinking about public education, that it's an opportunity, not an obligation, that they have a chance to be able to have their child in a free public education, but that there are expectations on parents as well as on students. And I'll get to the student obligations here in just a moment. But the goal in my mind is to remove it just about, to remove the focus solely away from just attendance and talk about the fact that there are expectations performance expectations that we have on parents to be engaged in the academic process with their children. Now, for some parents, that's going to be limited, but for other parents, it will be more. But at the end of the day, there are minimum behaviors. In my mind, they are that we will, in fact, support the attendance policies of their local school district, 
Number two, that they will support the disciplinary actions that are needed in the classroom, allow teachers to be teachers rather than babysitters. And number three, to participate actively in parent-teacher conferences. Hmm. And uh, these are the obligations of the students, you're saying? These are the obligations of the parents. Of the parents. So what about the students? So let's talk about the students for a minute. You know, we, when we look at um, some of these most at-risk kids, uh, the challenge that we have in our system today, again, is that we only focus on attendance, but we have no repercussions or consequences associated with a child's failure to perform academically or respect the opportunity that they have to be educated. I believe the time has come for us to completely rethink student accountability. Why is it that we accept that when a student fails to be proficient, that the student is allowed to continue to progress through the education system rather than being held back in that grade or in that class that they were in because of their academic, their, their failure to perform academically? There is no consequence whatsoever for disobeying a teacher or for not performing academically. The child knows that there's really nothing that the teacher can do, nothing that the school will do, that they'll just go to the next grade anyway. We have created a culture that reinforces a lack of accountability, and we do it in many ways because we're nervous that somehow by failing a child or holding them back, we're going to affect their self-esteem Yet that is the very thing that we're destroying because they continue to fail grade after grade, class after class, until finally they drop out of the education system. Our most at-risk population where English is a second language and there's significant economic uh, disadvantage, that very population, we are only graduating 47% of the kids. Most of of these same kids are in the neighborhood of 60 to 70% non-proficient, non-proficient in language arts, meaning English, 70% or more non-proficient in mathematics, and 80-plus percent non-proficient in science. But we allow them to continue to move through, which tells the parents and the kids that we really don't care, that we just want to get them in the school rather than succeed in school. And we need to change that culture by holding them accountable for their academic performance. So that's step one. Uh, we uh, let me just remind listeners that you're listening to uh, discussion uh, part two of a three part uh, series on K through twelve education. We have as our guest in this part of the program today Senator Aaron Osmond, who's uh, been working in education issues. And if you would like to respond, the number is one eight hundred eight two six one four nine five one eight hundred eight two six one four nine five. We'd love to have your experience. Uh, how are your kids doing? What uh, what is your view? the role of the state and the role of parents and the role of students. Uh, and where have you put your child and why? Have you put them in the regular K-12 through charter schools, uh, private schools, online education? Later in this program, we'll have representatives from uh, charter schools. We'll have with us uh, Jason Stanger, uh, Executive Director and Principal of uh, InTech Collegiate High School in Logan, and uh, representatives from online education, uh, Brenda Hales and Delena Tonks. Right now, Senator Aaron Osmond. And you can join us on email as well, upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at uh, gmail.com. Uh, Senator, so you've been talking about obligations of uh, parents, obligations of students, uh, and freeing up teachers to teach. Uh, one very critical part of this, and I'm, I'm sure you've, you've, you've talked about this, thought about this, you're talking about holding students accountable, uh, but the way you do that can be controversial and, and critical. That gets yes. us into testing. What, what kind of testing should be done? Well, you know, my, my challenge right now is that uh, testing has become a distraction from teaching and learning. We as a state, and like many uh, states in the country, have become so hyper-focused and concerned about assessing where a child is at so that we can hold our education system accountable for performance, that we have lost focus on the important role of educators to teach. Now teachers are spending so much of their time assessing students and testing students and often, often teaching to the test because their compensation, their performance evaluations are now being tied to those exams. And I am concerned about the culture that it's creating within our state and across the country, a culture that's hyper-focused on testing. And I believe that we need to reduce the amount of testing that we do. 
to pre- and post-assessments and tests rather than testing them four or five or six times during the year for local, state, and federal testing obligations that we've placed upon our schools. What do you think about uh, the effect that uh, the state assigning A through F grades will have on, on schools? Uh, talked to Lily Eskelson-Garcia last week, uh, vice president of the National Education Association. She said she thinks this kind of thing along with No Child Left Behind, it just has a bad effect. Uh, you're labeling the entire school. Uh, of course, proponents of this say you need to have some accountability. What, where do you stand? Well, I think it's important that we do have accountability. I mean, this is a multi-billion dollar uh, infrastructure that we have in our state, and those billions of dollars come from taxpayers, and taxpayers expect that we have an accountability system in play for how we spend that money, achieving the results that we expect. The challenge, I think, though, is that the more that we um, put these types of systems in place, uh, the less likely that we empower and reinforce local control within our public school system. Really, we need to find ways to be able to have accountability at the local most level. And sometimes these types of programs create a one-size-fits-all type of accountability system that doesn't always work. But let me be clear that I do support an accountability system. I do believe that school grading can have a positive effect if done fairly and right, and taking into consideration the unique circumstances and challenges of each school and their location from the, you know, the number of ELL students that they have or English language learner students that they have in the school to the rural location that they face to the growth or challenges they're facing, facing from suburban growth. There are so many unique factors that every school system faces, but I believe that we should have some form of accountability system as long as we can empower and enable the most local control possible. Let's bring in a caller, uh, Jean in Soda Springs, Idaho. Jean, welcome to the program. Glad you called. Go ahead. Thank you. I am thrilled to hear Senator Osmond um, and his plan, and I'm wondering if there's a senator in Idaho that uh, works with the education program and we could implement something similar to what he's wanting to do in Utah in Idaho. Well, I uh, I do know a couple of uh, legislators over there. I'd be happy to talk to them, but uh, I think the momentum will come if we're able to pass some form of, of, of change relative to our compulsory education laws and focus on what I would like to call it is parent and student accountability law with for public right. education. So that's my goal is to get something passed, and then hopefully other states will see that as a, a sign that change is possible, and we'll be able to see more changes across the country from what we do here in Utah. Gene, could I ask right. you a follow-up? What uh, you, you say you're, you're agreeing with what Senator Osmond is saying. What, what would you most like to see passed there in Idaho? What, what's got you most excited about this? Well, I think that, um, you know, our society is uh, only as healthy as the health of our homes. And so making the parents and the students accountable uh, I think that it's been severely uh, imbalanced. We, you know, we're requiring all of these things of our teachers and not having any accountability for our parents and students. So I think it's fabulous, the idea of the parent and student accountability. Uh, I think that the grading of the schools and all of the individual, um, you know, that the challenges that each school individually meets or, or uh, has to deal with, I think that if you got the parents and the, and the students to be accountable for their own education, a lot of that grading and testing problems would go away. Hmm. Uh, so you've got, uh, did you, I don't know if you have kids in school, did you, uh, do you have them or did you have them in regular K-12 through schools? I do now have um, a eight-year-old special education child, and I've got a thirteen-year-old and a fifteen-year-old, and they're all in public schools. Mm-hmm. And how, how's that going? Really well. Mm-hmm. My kids um, tend to do very well in school. I think it's uh, partially because we are very involved as parents, and we have we hold a high expectation for our children. Mm. I guess that that's a key. I think that's a key. I think parent involvement and student accountability is is absolutely necessary. I think it's true that 
we've got to support the discipline that the teachers need to have in the classroom. You know, I don't always agree with my children's teachers, but they're the teacher, and they deserve some amount of respect simply for that fact. Because if they, if they have to just babysit, they're not having any time to teach. If I could just add on that, that one of the challenges that uh, our teachers face in our state as I've traveled around and talked to educators, is that they feel that over time, parents continually are disengaging. They're seeing fewer and fewer parents participate in parent-teacher conferences. When a teacher does, in fact, engage in disciplinary action, holding a child accountable for their behavior in the classroom, often they find themselves at odds with parents and even their administrators who do not support them because the parents are so freaked out and upset that how dare the school hold their child accountable for their behavior. Right. We as a society have to shift our expectation. Our expectation today is, is that when we send our kids to school, they're obligated to deal with whatever we send them, to deal with whatever challenges that are there. They, don't, they are not empowered as educators to be professionals. Mm-hmm. And we have, we have set an expectation with our society that, hey, you know what? Behavioral problems and discipline problems, you know, the school teachers, they can handle that. And we don't want them to really deal with any real discipline. We want them to just deal with the kids while they're there. Oh, and by the way, students, it really doesn't matter if you perform or don't perform because you really won't be held accountable. And at some point, you're probably just going to drop out anyway. And we, we're, we're used to that, especially for our most at-risk kids. And so let's not set any expectations because we're nervous. We're concerned mm-hmm. that that's going to affect your psychological self-esteem if we try to hold you accountable in our school system. We've set exactly. those societal expectations on our kids, and we've set those expectations on our schools, and the time has come to change the culture and expectation, our societal culture and expectation of what will happen in our public education system. Mm. So that's really why I'm headed down this path is because of those very reasons that some parents set those expectations naturally, but many parents do not, and we Mm -hmm. need to set as a society our expectation for how the society consumes and uses the resource of public education available to them for free. Gene, absolutely. Gene, appreciate your experience. Appreciate your call. Great, thanks. Uh, Gene called one eight hundred eight two six one four nine five. You can as well. We'd love to get your experience. So wherever you put your children, uh, is it K through twelve, regular schools, charter schools, private school, uh, online education? By the way, coming up in the next half of the program, we're going to uh, be talking with uh, Jason Stanger, executive uh, director and principal of Collegiate uh, Intech Collegiate High School in Logan. That's a charter school. We'll have representatives from online schooling, Brenda Hales and uh, Delena Tonks. They'll be coming up in the second half of the program. We'd love to get your experience as a parent. One eight hundred eight two six one four nine five, or you can reach us by email at upr access at gmail.com uh, we're going to take a brief break uh senator are you able to stay with us for the hour or what uh, what's your schedule? absolutely okay great we'd love to have you uh, stay on um and we'll be uh, getting into uh, some of these uh, alternative forms of uh, education some advantages obviously disadvantages i'm very interested to, to follow the money as it were and get into talking about money in uh, public education uh that following a brief break Coming up on the next Bluegrass Breakdown, their bluegrass years were short-lived, but what years they were. Named after Bill Monroe's horse and anointed the 2004 IBMA Emerging Artist of the Year, the boys' brand of bluegrass was fiery, traditional, intense, and hot. I'm Dave Higgs, and we'll all be hailing King Wilkie on the next Bluegrass Breakdown. Did you know that athletic trainers are healthcare providers who are licensed and certified in 49 of the 50 states? In addition to caring for athletes, they help the military and other physically demanding industries. Athletic trainers prevent injuries and help return people back to work or the playing field if they do get hurt. Did You Know That is made possible by the USU Emma Eccles Jones College of Education and Human Services. More at cehs.usu.edu.
Thanks for listening to Access Utah, part two today of a three-part series on K-12 education. Coming up uh, in two weeks, we'll conclude this series with some uh, exciting innovations in education, some uh, uh, what uh, we may consider some far-out, way-out ideas, uh, cutting-edge stuff. Uh, that'll be an interesting program, we hope, in two weeks. Last week, we talked with Lily Eskelson-Garcia, Vice President of the National Education Association, and with Ray Reutzel, professor in the M. Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services here at Utah State University. Today, we're joined by Senator Aaron Osmond, who's been working in education issues and has got a ed- uh, discussion started, including here on UPR, with his proposal to end compulsory education. He's quick to add that he wants to replace it with uh, a system which would still hold parents and uh, students accountable, Uh, not just seat time, but uh, moving them forward. And uh, we're going to transition now to uh, talking about some alternatives to regular K-12 through education, including online education and uh, charter schools, which are public schools but uh, with a difference. We welcome in the studio Jason Stanger, Executive Director and Principal of Intech Collegiate High School. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Tom. It's wonderful to be here. And uh, on the line, we're talking about online education. Uh, Brenda Hales, welcome to the program. Thank you. And we're going to be joined by Delana Tonks, also talking about uh, online uh, education. Uh, let me begin this uh, first half of the program with a couple of questions for the senator. Senator Osmond, it's, uh, of course, takes money. You pointed out that uh, public education is very expensive. That's one of the reasons you want to uh, have some accountability here and move some students uh, forward. Um, Utah routinely ranks last in per-pupil spending. Does that concern you, and how do you get more money for education? Well, I think it is a concern. Uh, you know, obviously, it's not something that we're proud of. I believe that we have to evaluate and look for new ways to be able to generate funding and, more importantly, to enable that funding to get to our local schools. I think that our local schools have the biggest challenges. Uh, you know, often the increases that we do as a state in increasing revenue to meet growth or other types of uh, statewide uh, cost issues, often that money doesn't make its way down to the individual schools. I believe we need to find a way to be able to generate uh, additional income or revenue for our local schools and allow that money and ensure that that money stays under the control of the local school and its community council, where they can actually apply those resources to meaningful needs that they know exist, that they alone can solve. That's how we're going to get support, in my mind, for increasing revenue in public education. And the second question on money has to do with money flow. Uh, I'm not, I, I'm unclear exactly how this works with charter schools, but uh, for private schools, for example, if a person takes uh, their ch- child out of the regular K through 12 system, puts them in uh, private school or, wh- or whatever you know, whatever it might be, uh, doesn't the overall system lose some money there? Well, I think that the system loses money if a student does not enroll in public education. You know, the publication funding model is based off of the number of students that are attending or enrolled in the school. Uh, but that's relative to the allocation to that specific school. Remember that we still have a tax system that is based on all income tax that is generated from every Utah goes to fund public education whether or not that student is enrolled in public education. Now, the impact is more local where they get their money, the local school gets their money based on the number of students attending their school, but the money is still in the system, still available to other schools that have more students. Hmm. We're talking with Senator Aaron Osmond today, uh, talking obviously about K-12 through education, and we have with us uh, Jason Stanger, Executive Director and Principal of Intech Collegiate High School, Charter School in Logan. Uh, Brenda Hales and Delinda Tonks join us as well on on, uh, the phone talking about online education and uh, we'd love to have your perspective uh, what have you chosen to do with your child have you had problems or has your experience been a good one we'd love to uh, get your experience as a parent in uh, k-12 through education the number is 1-800-826-1495 1-800-826-1495 or you can join us online at upraxcess at gmail.com upraxcess at gmail.com we do have this uh, comment from linda bettinger she says, I have one word, Yahoo. Finally, a voice of reason. 
People have been afraid to say the P word like it's a plague. Parents need to be held accountable as well as students and teachers. And testing is destroying teacher creativity and spontaneity. Thank you so much for this perspective. That's Linda Bettinger. She describes herself as a retired 36-year teacher. That's Linda's comment. We would appreciate yours as well. Let me turn to uh, Jason uh, Stinger. Um, remind us what a charter school is to the public school. Yes. And uh, what are the rules? A uh, charter school is part of the public uh, system of education in Utah. And uh, charter schools uh, have to accept any students who come to them as long as they have space available. And so in that way, they're similar to our other public schools, the district schools. Um, but a couple differences that I think people should be aware of is typically charter schools have an emphasis, a focus. They're not meant to be comprehensive high schools. In, in my case, we're a high school. And uh, we specialize in early college and STEM education. And so we don't do a lot of the other things that a comprehensive high school might. And I think that's fairly typical of charter high schools. They specialize in a particular curriculum area. Um, for the elementary schools, I think it's more typical to focus or specialize in a particular methodology of instruction because, of course, elementary kids are going to read and write and, and uh, do mathematics. Um, and we, uh, we really think that that can help a, a community um, by providing an option that doesn't otherwise exist. Mm. And uh, I uh, worked once at a uh, charter school that specializes in film production, and that's something that you just don't have in every high school, and so that's a wonderful new opportunity. Uh, we're one of uh, – Intech is one of six early college high schools in the state that are – Specifically by law, their mandate was to provide STEM programs and connections to universities to provide early college opportunities to students. Mm. And uh, so that's that's the unique opportunity that we provide. So you, you by law, have to take anyone who wants to come? Anyone who uh, wants to come as long as we have space in the grade or program. Mm. Would this not be, though, self-selecting, though, you know, a, a student who perhaps couldn't, couldn't cut a— I imagine your program's pretty rigorous. Uh, it, there count. is some self-selection mm -hmm. um, in the process because people are making a choice. They're looking at, is that a good fit for me as a student or as a parent? I should say in our program, we have students of all uh, backgrounds as far as their academic abilities. Um, and our demographics are similar to the weighted average of the valley here. I, we pull from Cache Valley. So 25% of our students are minority students. A full third of them are low income, 12% um, uh, are in special education. And so uh, I think there's a concept that charter schools are very selective um, and can choose their students. And by law, they cannot um, and should not be doing that. And certainly if they make a concerted effort, they can get a very diverse uh, demographic coming to their school. What about special needs students? Uh, like I said, 12% of our 12%. students okay. are uh, special ed students, and that's been very consistent for us between 9 and 12% mm -hmm. the last four or five years. I'm guessing that a student who makes a con or a parent who makes a conscious choice to put their student in a charter school like yours, probably you're going to have a high percentage of parents who are engaged. That, uh, I think, is uh, very accurate of charter schools because that choice in itself is engagement. And at parent-teacher conferences, which uh, Senator Osmond uh, talked about, we have 75 to 80 percent of our parents. At a high school, that is just outstanding. I, usually it's a little more sparsely attended at the high school level. And uh, when we ask for volunteers, they come forward, and, and we've never had a problem really getting uh, people to engage if, if we ask them for that. We do have a caller. Uh, one more question to Senator Osmond, then we'll get to you, to you Adrian. Uh, be patient. Uh, Senator Osmond, I want to follow up with this. Um, this is a great opportunity, obviously, charter schools and online education, private schools for, for some parents. But if a certain number of parents choose this, aren't, aren't we siphoning off the engaged parents? <laughs> and indeed, maybe the engaged students. What we might be left with in regular K-12 through 12 is, um, it could be problematic. Well, I think that there is certainly the risk that you could have some of your more engaged parents want to move to a more successful school or one that they feel their child will be more successful in. But at the end of the day, you know, they have a system where anyone 
including parents that are struggling, parents that are supportive, can bring their child to that charter school. It's, it's a choice that the parents can make, and sometimes it's so popular that a, that a lottery system is required. So I still think it's a pretty fair and accessible thing. And one of the things I'm trying to change is the culture within our public school system. We need to show parents that we need them to be engaged, that we expect them to be engaged, and that their participation in public education is a privilege, an opportunity, not just an obligation, that they will view their local public school in the same way as a charter school or a private school or even a homeschool option, because they realize that their role is the single most important factor in student success. Research shows that when a parent is engaged, they have more influence on the success of a child than anything else, with the teacher being second. So my whole point in this legislation that I'm proposing is that we have to re-engage parents, set expectations for parents and, and children, that it's not just a live and let die kind of a scenario. We must re-engage. We must change the culture. We must refocus how we participate in our regular public schools to achieve the successes that we're seeing in the other school systems. Let's bring in uh, Adrian. Adrian's been waiting patiently. Thank you for that. Adrian in St. George, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Thank you. Yes, thanks for taking the call. I wanted to speak to a couple of points that the senator made, and I agree. Our children have been in public schools here in Utah for most of their early education and through middle school. Um, And I agree with the senator. Parental involvement is just paramount to their success, and Utah has been wonderful in pretty much every respect. Um, They've been very sensitive to parents. They have changed um, policies to accommodate um, parents uh, who are single-parent families, which is a a significant demographic um, nowadays. And um, it's a very complex issue, but I agree uh, with the senator. My background is, is in psychology and educational processes. We've seen the same studies um, that show when parents are involved in that, it's, it's like an intervention, really. Um, children are much more inclined um, to value the educational experience. They're much more um, you know, apt to study and apply themselves and to feel that that's something that is important in their lives. Now, the, the difficulties we've seen in Washington County, for instance, at West Elementary or Pineview were concerning um, to us here locally. And as we attended those school board, meeting, school board meetings, we saw the testing that the senator was talking about being emphasized and in some cases not a good fit for the populations that were being tested. Um, and I think a lot of that is cultural when, when you are starting to, um, you know, face language barriers and things like that. Um, Those tests really aren't accurate reflections of those students' potential and capabilities. And so how we interpret them um, and the context, you know, that that we give meaning to them uh, within is, I think, uh, something that we have to keep in mind. Um, Where our kids are now in another state, those schools are failing to make adequate yearly progress, and that's another area where I'm, I'm wondering if we couldn't do better when those Title I funds come in. It looks like to, to us they're coming out three years after the students are, are you know, showing poor academic performance, and the teachers are not qualified in many cases to be teaching. And so that concerns me a little because an entire cohort of students is being neglected um, for a significant period of time before funding gets there. And I wonder if the senator could speak to those areas where maybe we could do better. Thanks, Adrian. Appreciate the call. We'll, we'll get a response from the senator. Thanks. Thanks, Adrian. Well, my, my first response is that one other piece, a critical piece of this um, parental accountability um, solution is, is the need for more local control. I'll give you a good example. Today, as a state, we tell our schools that they must provide 990 hours of classroom instruction, 180 school days a year, and that the kids must be in class for that amount of time. And from my perspective, you know, there's no evidence that the amount of class time that they have is a direct correlation from a research perspective to their academic potential or success. Why is it that we are dictating at the state level and even at the national level what every school must do? In this particular case, my recommendation is let's stop telling the schools how many hours they have to be in the classroom. Let the local school districts decide the best way to use their resources. 
allow the teachers, for example, to have more professional development days, to be able to be skilled like you're talking about, Adrian, in their area of expertise, to get training and support to more effectively handle this new population of English language learners. Let them spend more time in training and development so they can be more effective. And that means that at times kids are going to have to be at home. They're going to be less time in school, but the teachers will come back more effective and they'll be more effective in the classroom. Let the local school districts decide how much time to spend and let the local school districts decide what to do to face the challenges that they're facing. And let's pull back the state and federal influences and empower them to make those local decisions and then hold the parents and the students accountable for their individual performance. And I believe we'll start to see the changes that we're talking about. We are looking for your experience. Uh, we'd love to have your comment on K-12 through education. What's your experience been? What's the role of the parent? Those are some questions we're uh, throwing out to you. The number is 1-800-826-1495, or you can email us at upraxis at gmail.com. Let's get perspective from online education. Bring in uh, Brenda Hales first. We have Brenda Hales and Delena Tonks. Uh, Brenda uh, Hales, uh, what's... Uh, uh, who do you represent, first of all, and uh, what's, what's your experience been with the online education? That's an alternative parents have. Uh, I'm the deputy superintendent with the Utah State Office of Education. So I have the wonderful privilege of being able to look at education in all of its various forms. Uh, Utah is very fortunate that parents have a variety of choices. There's traditional public school, charter school, and then in addition to that, we have an excellent online school offering. Those include uh, the kinds of programs that Delane will be talking about. She has a wonderful online charter school that uh, people are using and their students are being very successful. In addition to that, there are district charters that they're using and district online schools for that purpose. And what happens is kids have a variety of ways to earn either original credit, to do makeup credit, or to extend the learning opportunities that they have. What are parents uh, telling you that take advantage of this? Are they using it for homeschool? Are they using it? Uh, how are they using this? It's a ver- for a variety of reasons. Uh, there are several homeschools that use this opportunity. There are students uh, like my own nieces and nephews who have a full high school schedule who may want to take an additional class. In that case, this is an offering and a way to enrich what the students are learning. How do, how do you make school? How do you make sure that students are actually, you know, uh, going to school, as it were? I, I can see myself as a as a kid. You know, you you could take advantage of this. Uh, I, I assume there's uh, safeguards in place, and and uh, you have to pass some tests and etc. Yes. For example, in the electronic high school, students take proctored tests. So we know that the students are creating the original work. We know that they have learned what they need to be able to learn. And, it's again, it's just an, another way of going to school. I, I liken it to the baking industry. It used to be 30 years ago that the only way you could do anything in terms of banking was, was to actually go to a building. Then I remember when they put the first outside teller machines, and now you can do a lot of online banking. So the banks are still there for those who need to make a transaction or talk to a bank officer. You still have the uh, ability to use a drive-up teller, and then you have online opportunities. So education is just keeping step with the 21st century and the ways that People do business and learn. What are uh, do you have in front of you rough percentages? I imagine the big majority of parents put their kids in regular K through twelve. You'd have a percentage for charter, private, online, uh, homeschool. The vast majority, uh, I'm, I'm going to guesstimate, eighty five percent are using the traditional school model, and then in addition to that, you have charters. And that's around 13%, and then about maybe 2% using online. Again, it just opens up the opportunities and choices for Utah students and Utah parents. So is it Delane or Delena? Delena. Delena Tonks. Uh, tell us about your school. 
Oh, absolutely. I am the director of Mountain Heights Academy. We were formerly known as Open High School of Utah, but this year we've added 7th and 8th graders, uh, so we are more than just a high school. We are a tuition-free public charter school, and we do all of our instruction online. We're available to any student anywhere in the the great state of Utah, and we have students from the, the northern tip to the southern tip and all points in between. Uh, we have high, uh, high test scores and unparalleled teacher interaction and per- personalized instruction. And the thing that makes the difference um, for, the stu- for the students and why parents choose to have their students come to Mountain Heights Academy is for the flexibility. Uh, Brenda was talking about the banking industry, and we like to look at, uh, and that was a great parallel, we like to look at TV. When I was little, you had to be home at 7 o'clock to watch a show, and then that evolved into videos and DVDs and Blu-ray and streaming, and now you have On Demand, and that's that's kind of where I would position Mountain Heights Academy. It's education on demand. Students can log in anywhere, any place, and they can do their work. It's divided into weekly modules, so they log in. They can work on it in the evenings. Uh, they can work on it in the morning. They can sit down and do a six-hour stretch. They can break it up. They can do it on the weekends if they have family things during during the week. Um, and so the two things that parents and students have told us over the past four years that we've been open, that they like the best about Mountain Heights Academy, number one is the flexibility. They can fit school into life instead of the other way around. And the second is the unparalleled teacher interaction. Uh, we hire full-time teachers, and they're there to give that just-in-time intervention to those students who, if they are struggling, can contact their teacher uh, during their office hours and get what they need when they need it so that they can move on. The teachers then use the data that we collect to see where there are gaps in that student in that student uh, performance, and because we build our own curriculum, they're able to backfill some of those gaps for that individual student, and it's it's very powerful. What's your experience when would students choose this, parents choose this for homeschooling, for flexible schedule? For why, why are they choosing this? Um, well, you hit on one of the main points, and that's the flexibility. There is a component of, of homeschooling to it. We call it school at home uh, because we do have full-time, highly qualified Uh, professionally certified teachers who are working with those students, the parents are able to choose the level of involvement that they have with with our program. They can be right there working with their students, or they can be at work and the students can be working on their own. So it provides a great deal of flexibility, not just for the students, but also for the parents. Uh, We get students who want to get ahead and take advantage of our early college program. We have a partnership with Weber State. We have students who are in the IEP and 504 uh, struggling learners population who can take more time on assignments than they would have uh, otherwise. There isn't a bell ringing to tell the students to go on to the next subject. They're able to focus and, and go as deep, deeply as they need to to, uh, to understand the content. Hmm. Senator Osmond, we've, we've heard about some alternatives to regular K-12 through education uh, today, and, and you want to, to put this actually into your proposal, to have the parents have to make a formal choice among these alternatives. No. I'm sure you've heard the following concern. Let me have you address this. Sure. Um, this is wonderful for parents to have, have these choices, including private, ed- to private schools that we haven't uh, had a representative on from. But uh, for every parent who takes their children out of the regular K-12 through to, to these wonderful alternatives, uh, doesn't that weaken the regular K-12? through Shouldn't we focus our resources on K-12 through and uh, make that the best we can make it? Well, I, again, I come back to my opening statement that the state's responsibility is to assist parents in the education of their children, not take it over. The parents should be the one to decide what is best for their child. For some parents, that is to homeschool, and we need to enable and authorize that option and empower them to make those decisions on how to educate their child and get out of their way. When it comes to public education, though, when a parent makes that choice, we need to create a culture where people recognize that public education is a benefit provided by the taxpayers of the state of Utah. We all agree that we must have that free public education option, but not everybody's going to choose it, and that's okay. But it should be there, it needs to be there, and we need to pay for it. But we need to hold the parents and the students accountable when they use it and create a culture where we recognize that education is an opportunity, not an obligation, but one where we will hold you accountable if you elect to use it. 
both the parents and the students and the educators together need to be held accountable to ensure a high-quality public education system. Unless we do that, unless we equally share that load and have equal accountability and responsibility, we will continue to see the decline of results and, and academic success and the future impact on our society. We cannot provide a free public education system without accountability, and that's what this bill is all about. It's about replacing the focus of compulsory attendance to a focus on educational success and accountability when we provide a taxpayer-funded education system. We turn back to uh, Jason Stenger. Uh, Professor Reutzel, uh, last week on the program, part one of this uh, three-part series, he talked about uh, a need, as he sees it, to get away from some old traditions. One of those, you need to get away from giving students the summer off. I don't know if you're... If you've had that desire in a charter school, you're locked into that, or what? Uh, what you'd like to see? Well, one one thing is that's a, a systemic change uh, for us. We pull kids from uh, families that are across this valley, and they have siblings who are going to other schools in the valley, and uh, the university. We have several university uh, parents, and since those systems are on a traditional calendar. It forces us, mm. in effect, to be on a traditional calendar. Right. Um, that's demanded of us. But I do think uh, spending more time um, in school is something that research is suggesting that our students need to do. And that is a concern where we're basically using an agrarian calendar. Mm. Um, are, are there some kids that are falling behind over the summer? Or could we even accelerate uh, students um, or enrich their experience by having them in uh, for longer periods of time or or different breaks, or do you just have a minute left, uh, Brenda Hales? I wonder from the, you know, the state office there is is that something that um, you're getting comments on? That the, the parents desiring that, or maybe parents? We had a comment uh, last show at a uh, I think in this case a, a grandmother who said uh, she appreciated having that flexibility uh, that parents can take their kids on trips and such. Well, fortunately, since we have the different ways of giving education to kids, parents can make the choices. Uh, I personally see that as a good thing. If somebody really wants to have that summertime, they have the traditional school program. If they want a program that is meeting year-round, they can take a look at either charters or online opportunities. But I think it'll be interesting as Senator Osmond's proposal goes forward to take a look at Issues like how many days, how many hours do you go with something more like Singapore, where the children literally go all year, but they have two to three week breaks interspersed at little at the quarters. Do we stick with an agrarian schedule for most, which most families right now are used to this, for the scout camps, for the family vacations? It'll be interesting to see how this dialogue progresses. We, of course, will uh, stay tuned, especially to Senator Osmond's uh, proposed legislation as it goes forward. Senator Osmond, uh, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks so much for the time. Uh, we've also been joined by uh, Jason Stanger uh, with uh, Intech Collegiate High School, a charter school in Logan. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Uh, Brenda Hales from State Office of Education. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, Delana Tonks with Mountain Heights Academy Online uh, Charter School. Thank you. We'll continue this discussion in two weeks. Some exciting innovations in K-12 education. That's coming up uh, in two weeks. And uh, join us for an interesting discussion uh, tomorrow. We have uh, the provocatively titled book, Lousy Sex, Creating Self in an Infectious World. And the author, Gerald Callahan, will be with us. Join us tomorrow. For uh, producer Bennett Purser, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening today.